0: InfoTrackZone.com
1: This is InfoTrack. The Weekly Show, with information you should know. Here's what's happening on this week's show. Some of the most deadly and popular recreational drugs abused in America today may be as close as your family's medicine cabinet or in your
0: email inbox. I started getting a lot of email spam that said, buy it online, no prescription needed. Within 48 hours, I had bottles of Vicodin, Valium, and Xanax waiting for me on my desk.
1: Then, high school football is as American as apple pie, but you'll be blown away by new research into how many young athletes have brain injuries that are never diagnosed.
0: Our top players exceeded 1,800 blows to the head over the course of the
1: season, and that's the ones that exceeded 14.4 Gs, and that's roughly comparable in G-Force to the force experienced experience, say, in a light whiplash. Those stories and more are up next on this week's edition of InfoTrack. The program gets underway in just a moment. InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Welcome back to InfoTrack. I'm Roy Mackey. When you think of serious addictions, you might think of alcohol, heroin, or crack cocaine. But prescription drug addiction is raging in America today, impacting literally millions of people. With more, here's Infotrack's Chris Whitting. Chris? Thanks, Roy. Our next guest knows all too well the
2: impact of this, Joshua Lyon. He's a journalist and a former prescription painkiller abuser. Joshua, you've written a book titled Pillhead, The Secret Life of a Painkiller Addict. Let's start at the beginning. How did you first get hooked on painkillers?
0: Back in 2003, I was working at a magazine and me and all my coworkers started getting a lot of email spam that said, buy Vicodin online, no prescription needed. Our inboxes were just flooded with this and I kept deleting them, deleting them till all of a sudden I was like, wait a minute, is this real? I knew that Vicodin was a controlled substance and I was curious to see if this was a scam or if people were actually buying drugs online. So I pitched it as an article at my magazine. They approved it. I got a budget. to try and buy the pills online, and within 48 hours, I had bottles of Vicodin, Valium, and Xanax waiting for me on my desk. It was unfortunately all too easy, and it was very real. So I wrote the article and promised my editor that I would throw all the pills away, but I was curious. I wanted to know what all the fuss was about, so I took three, and unfortunately, my body really responded to them. I loved the feeling of being on them.
2: What was the feeling like? Well,
0: everybody's body chemistry is different. So some people don't respond well to it and will feel nauseous. But for me, it made me feel incredibly euphoric. The way I described it was like always being enveloped in this soft, warm blanket. And it really eased a lot of social anxiety and eased my stress. But what happens, and this is true of any drug, is you have to keep taking more and more and more to try and chase that initial feeling until you're basically, you can't get that initial feeling and you're basically physically dependent.
2: So once you realized you were addicted, what did you do at that point? Or did you just stay with it for a while?
0: You know, I stayed with it for a really long time. And the reason why, and I think this is why painkillers continue to be such a huge problem in America, is that for a really long time, I was a very highly functioning addict. This wasn't a drug where I was, you know, completely hungover in the morning and not being able to show up to work. I looked pretty much normal to everybody else, at least for the first, like, year or so. After a while, there's a lot of other negative consequences that started happening. I had a lot of memory loss, which unfortunately is still a problem for me. What happened was I started to isolate myself. I was living inside what felt like this warm bubble, and... What initially started out as something that eased social anxiety. After a while, I just didn't care anymore about anything. I didn't even want to go out. I was perfectly content to just sit at home and watch basic cable. And I really just started losing out on life. And then more serious things started happening. I ended up getting appendicitis and went into the hospital and was given morphine for the pain while they were waiting for an operating table to open up. And the morphine did nothing for me at first. I kept having to ask for more and more because my tolerance was so high at that Uh. point. And that was my big first like real wake up call. Ironically, when I got out of the hospital, I had my first ever legal prescription for a Vicodin and I weaned myself off slowly. And I got a good chunk of sober time in after that, between six months and a year. And then I had a really bad relapse, and on my relapse, I graduated to much harder drugs. Vicodin, after a while, became like baby aspirin to me, and then I moved on to much harder painkillers like Dilaudid and actual morphine.
2: And again, those were, I guess, relatively accessible to you. you? You didn't have too much trouble getting those?
0: I didn't. You know, for the first year or two of the addiction, I was getting them online. The DEA was working really hard to shut down these pill mills. And so what would happen is I would be ordering from a service online and then all of a sudden they would just disappear like the URL would be down. But it was easy enough for me to just Google and find another one. But eventually all of them dried up and it was incredibly hard to find anything online. And then eventually I just found a regular drug dealer who had all of these medications. And I think a lot of the initial public service announcements about prescription painkiller medication made a big deal about locking up your medicine cabinet. And making sure your kids can't get inside them. And that's definitely still important to do. But the fact of the matter is, these have now become mainstream with just your normal street drug dealers as
2: well. We're talking with Joshua Lyon, author of Pillhead The Secret Life of a Painkiller Addict. And we're talking about prescription drug abuse. Joshua, one of the things you said a few minutes ago is that you were, for the most part, pretty functional in society. You were able to do what your you know, basic responsibilities were. How can we tell if somebody we know has an addiction like this? Is it possible to even tell?
0: It is. There's a couple of different kind of key symptoms that you can look for, and I think if you're seeing a couple of these all in conjunction, that's a pretty good sign, especially early on in the addiction when somebody might not normally be acting as spacey and out of it as you eventually get when you're using. What happens is your pupils constrict, they get very tiny, a little bit of memory loss from the get-go, trouble finishing sentences where words that you normally use all the time just kind of fail you and your sentences kind of trail off into nowhere. And then the other one is a lot of people have a side effect from opiates that makes them itch. So if somebody's scratching a lot,
2: And when you recognize that in a family member or a friend, what would you suggest that someone do who wants to help?
0: It's incredibly hard when you see somebody you love going through it So my advice for someone who's using painkillers is to really start talking to your friends about it if you can and just to not isolate yourself. If it's too intense to actually talk face-to-face with somebody, like a family member or a friend, there's a really great website that's called thesecondroad.org, which is a social networking site for people who are interested in recovery. And it's really accepting of people who still haven't quite made the full leap yet and are just kind of interested in getting a little bit of information. You know, if they're maybe too scared to actually go to their first NA or AA meeting, but people had been talking to me about my problem for so long. I had been aware for so long that I had a problem. I don't know why I wasn't ready to hear it, but at one point, somebody just said something to me, and it clicked. Really, the best advice I can give is constant communication and getting out as much as you can from that isolation bubble. It's a chronic disease, addiction is, and it takes really a lot of diligent, hard work in order to get to a point of recovery.
2: Joshua, from your standpoint, obviously you went through some email offers in order to get prescription drugs, and obviously also I would assume high school students can raid their parents' medicine cabinet to get these drugs but it seems like there's a broader problem than that. Why are these drugs so accessible to Americans?
0: There's a bunch of different reasons, actually. It's kind of like a perfect storm of elements that started happening around the early aughts number one, there's just a general rise in over prescribing and that leads to just wider illegal diversion. There's more people being prescribed pills, which just means there's more out there sitting around to be illegally diverted. Another theory that I think makes a lot of sense is that there was a lot of increased border security post 9-11, which created a demand for drugs that already existed within the US. And this third thing that happened in the early part of the decade was the rise of the internet, which... Spread the early pill mills, but it also enabled this very widespread dispersal of medication information, and just more people were able to learn that they could get high from
2: these medications. Book is Pillhead The Secret Life of a Painkiller Addict. Joshua Lyon is the author, and there's a website, pillheadthebook.com. Joshua, thanks so much for joining us on InfoTrack. Thanks so much for having me. And for InfoTrack, I'm Chris Whitting.
1: Next, 1800 hits to the head, four concussions, plus four other players with brain impairment. An average season of a high school football team? There's more info track coming up. Stay tuned.